Welcome back to Pancreas Pals, a podcast by diabetics for diabetics. I'm Emily, a writer and editor. And I'm Miriam, a licensed mental health counselor. We're just two women trying to live our best diabetic lives. While it might not always be easy due to the literal highs and lows, it always helps to have a pancreas pal to turn to. Hey guys, welcome to Pancreas Pals. And this week I am honestly blessed to have both of the co-hosts here. So now was this like a, what do you do? Can three people be co-hosts? Anyway, welcome Mama Miriam, but her name's Miriam because mother is not her only identity. And Christy. (laughs) Hi guys. Miriam everybody. So Christy actually has a bit of an announcement to make. So I'm going to hand the mic, so to speak, to Christy. (laughs) I do this this every time. I do this every time. I'm just going to say it. Um, Hi, I, I am pregnant now. Yay, Mazel Yay. I'm 13 weeks along. I don't know why I freeze like this. The same thing happened when my mom was like, okay, you can tell Nana the good news. I sat there awkwardly twitching for like two minutes and was like, I'm going to have a baby. It takes me back to our, our original episodes when we would just hysterically laugh getting through the intro, Christy, and like we wouldn't be able to do it and it's we'd have to restart. A, it's such a simple question. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. It's fair. You it's are literally, you're growing a new life. You have two brains. Um, so <laughs> you've got, and I guess technically Miriam got lobotomized, right? Because <laughs> you removed one. <laughs> My brain was removed. But you're grow- I thought the, the coolest part about being a pregnant type of diabetic is you are literally growing a functioning pancreas. Honestly, it's like kind of rude. If I, if I know I, that it's like I, I have, have a function offering you nothing. Can't use it. Exactly. exactly. It's like your body clearly can do it. It's making yeah. one. It's so making why one. can't it do it for yourself? And that exactly. is because of what the uterus. Heck? It's a mystical, magical place. We won't get into that right now. Um, <laughs> vote, vote, vote when you can, people. That's the sidebar. Anyways, um, I have so many questions for you both. First, I want to start off by saying to Everyone in my family and Matt's family were not getting pregnant anytime soon. Don't think that this episode is like, oh, Emily is going to announce something. No, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. Love you. It will happen one day when the timing is right. Moving on. Um, I want to start. Let's kind of take it trimester by trimester because mm-hmm. anyone who listened to Miriam's last episode, which 10 out of 10 would recommend listening, um, she gave us a breakdown on the goals of a type 1 diabetic pregnancy and how you want to keep your blood sugars in a specific range. Mm-hmm. Now, And she very eloquently and honestly a little bit ASMR-y um, took us through <laughs> the different you know, what's expected. Expectation. I know. Yeah. You made me what's hyper expected. aware of my voice. Honestly, I um, was like, wow, this is such a stressful episode because like I had no idea half the stuff that was going on, but the way you spoke it, I was like ready to fall asleep but at the same time, not in like a boring way, but in like a <laughs> Miriam is so calm coming to a theater near you, like that kind of way. Uh, so you are this super episode, soothing. That's true. She, you should read audiobooks. You Thanks. should. Oh my God. I'm going to hook you up with some people. Anyways, um, I am stoked to talk about the particulars, especially now mm. that Christy is uh, is with child as well. So let's yeah. kick things off and take things trimester by trimester, if you will. Um, okay. I'm curious to hear how, since both of you have been slash are in, if you're Christy, the first trimester – um, how have your sugars been and how, again, blood sugars, not sugars, sorry, how 
What are some tips and tricks of managing them? Yeah. Let's start with Miriam because she already has her baby. (laughs) As I just started talking before you even paused. Um, And I want to reiterate, if this part wasn't clear in the last episode, um, that the reason you want such tight blood sugar control is because your doctors and your medical team, they're trying to make your body as close to a non-diabetic's body as possible. And so that's why the, the elevated blood sugars are what can possibly cause some increased risk. So by keeping them in that super tight range of like, you know, 60 to 120 or 70 to 140, whatever your doctors choose, is just to make your body as similar to a non-diabetics as possible because that essentially eliminates all risks. You know, it kind of tricks your body into thinking, oh, I don't actually have diabetes. Um, you do, you know, spoiler alert. But <laughs> Miriam's here to debunk all of your dreams. <laughs> that is why you work so hard for the tightened blood sugars. And so that's I hope that part's, you know, clearer now. Also, bef- um, can I just yeah. jump in before we yeah. scare people? Obviously, like having one or two or even a handful or more of high blood sugars doesn't make you a bad mom. It doesn't make Oh my god, not at yeah, all. Not you can have you can have a handful of high blood sugars in a day. Yeah. And still be fine. And so the, yeah, so this is more of like a holistic view. We're talking about how you don't want to, exactly. you know, live your life on a on a certain way for your entire let's call it ten months because that's really yeah. what pregnancy is. But that's a whole sidebar. It's okay, the it's the, in, it's the intention of where you place your goals, like intending to be in that place. Because exactly, if you, if you intend to be between like seventy and one fifty, you'll find yourself in that range. Like when you change what your intentions are and where your goals are you'd be surprised how you can kind of slide it. Absolutely. And I think it's about like thinking about averages, thinking about time and range, less so about the specific blood sugars that you're seeing. I think mentally will make it a little more manageable. Um, But I think for me, if I'm kind of thinking holistically throughout the pregnancy, first trimester felt the most anxiety provoking for me not because it was necessarily harder to manage my blood sugars, you know, physically. I think it was anxiety provoking just because it's all so new and you feel like you have this big marathon ahead of you and like, oh my God, how am I going to do it for nine months? So I think the first hurdle is managing that part of it, is understanding like this is a marathon and not a sprint and you will have high blood sugars and you will have low blood sugars and it, this will be more of a full-time job, more so. I, and I know you're all thinking it's already a full-time job. And it is, you know, being a di- type of diabetic up. is a full-time <laughs> job. But the mindset you have during pregnancy just feels different because there is this hyper, hyper awareness to your blood sugars, more so even than normal. And it's not that it feels so impossible because you've been doing this, you do this already. You know, we're all... The fact that you are listening to our podcast already means you are an engaged diabetic. You are interested in learning more and connecting with people. And I think we are a very interesting cross-section of type 1 diabetics because we are – just the fact that you're listening to this means you're working towards bettering yourself, right? And so I think you are already able to do this. There there will just be this heightened hyper-awareness on your blood sugars um, that you will find yourself, I think, more motivated – to do than normal because all of a sudden it's not just your body. It is something else that you are taking care of, this little baby fetus um, that you are now responsible for. And so I think it's also the first step towards parenthood and motherhood. Um, it is just, also, though, your body. 
Well, oh, <laughs> like yes, the way you phrased that was a little uh <laughs> a little so, no, it's your but, choice to make these blood sugars work for is, you and it your is, child. It is your choice, but I think you'll find your motivation is stronger than it usually is. And Christy, would you sort of agree? Like you just feel it feels different, um, motivation wise. I hate to sound like so Spider Man y, but with like great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> like your body your body is making a person and it's this awesome thing to think about. Yeah. But like even right now, I'm sitting here and I just have my Dexcom open. Like if I yeah. could physically keep my eyes open and just stare at it overnight, I would. But you just mm-hmm. find yourself you're never not thinking about it. There is yes. definitely a hyper awareness to where you are and for me where you're going because you know pregnancy causes all kinds of weird hormonal changes. And especially in the first trimester, like I remember there was a point where I told my mom, cause the first couple weeks, you know, I didn't see anything like too hectic or too stressful blood sugar wise. Honestly, I didn't have a symptom like week one through six. And I was like, Zach, I honestly think I'm like one of the lucky ones. Just good for me. You have definite points of shifts. And I remember mm-hmm. telling my mom, I think my body knows I'm pregnant now. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you just find yourself so hyper attuned to like trends and you're like why yeah. like oh it's going up by this many points every five minutes it's going up by this many points mm-hmm. and you just want to head off any problem any high any low you just want to be so on top of to the point where you're just sitting there staring at it because you're like I can prevent something really bad if I just if I and just this is why Christine didn't want to get a CGM, ladies. And gentlemen. <laughs> I know. I, um, I listen to myself now, and I'm like, "You little psycho." No, I mean, listen. There's definitely more pressure to be within a certain range um, for people who aren't pregnant now that yeah. we have this technology, and then let alone add that you're growing another person inside of you, mm-hmm. um, whether or not we're happy for their impending healthy pancreas. But it's kind of like, I'm just curious. I want to know a little bit nitty gritty personal yeah. for you guys. What were some of the trends that you saw in your first trimester? Did you Were you more insulin resistant, more insulin sensitive? Did you have to change your basils? Let's start with uh, you, actually, Christy. Ooh, threw Miriam off there. No, I'm like, I'm thinking it feels I, I like it's it. a lifetime ago. I have to like Yeah, remember. no, I did it super recently. So I think mm-hmm. it's a, a little bit easier to speak on. So at the mm-hmm. beginning of pregnancy, and I am going to quote the heck out of that pregnancy with type 1 diabetes book. So The Purple Bible. Read, yeah, anyone who reads that and then listens yes. to me talk, Ginger and Jenny. Um, so when your body first starts kicking out progesterone, I noticed around week four, um, my basal needs went up. My short acting needs, like my mealtime needs didn't really change too much up until very recently. And again, I'm now in week 13. I don't think that I have really adjusted my pre-meal, um, like ratios until this last week. Mm -hmm. Um, A little bit of basal adjustment was all I really needed. Um, The biggest thing for me was that I started noticing, and it was when my body started kicking out its own insulin. I don't know how heavily we've talked about that so far, but it is a cool thing that your body will do, but it can be a little bit stressful. Um, And it happens, you know, to a lot of women at some point in the first trimester, they say anywhere from week six to 12, it can start. Um, I realized that mine started earlier after the fact. Um, the trend for me was, and it was overnight specifically, I would get a low notification, have you know a juice box or 
you know, some glucose tabs, my normal amount, it would come up, you know, into that ideal 70 to 100 range. And then within the hour, it would be back down and it would do that four or five times. So the way that I approached that, but I would then have highs during the day, usually around lunchtime. I would, so, sp- I would spike after lunch. Christy, you're still doing multiple daily injections, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. So just some clarifying things there. Um, another big difference between Christy and Miriam is Miriam was has been on the T-slim pump, correct, Miriam? Yes, correct. And Christy's doing multiple daily injections. So when she's talking about basal and bolus, her basal insulin is her background insulin, and that's usually a fixed number um, that mm. really you only change when you're seeing patterns um, in your background not eating times. And bolus is what we call giving short-acting insulin to correct, if you will, bring down a number um, using that short-acting insulin. Okay, please continue. Right. But like, so once it's in there, it's in there. So what I was realizing mm-hmm. is I needed more of my basil during the day and I needed so much less at night. But as far as I could remember with my Levamir, I was splitting equally. I was taking six units in the morning, six at night. Mm-hmm. I had just been doing this. So I had to, it took me probably a couple of weeks because, you know, you don't want to, anything that feels like a shift from what you know works for you for so long, it feels like you're breaking a rule. But what I ended up doing <laughs> was sliding like 10 of those units to the morning and I was only taking two at night wow. and it essentially solved the problem. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't taking them in even 12 hours apart because I just needed to keep um, with Levamir, there is a period where it works stronger. So like two hours after it starts to like peak in its strength. So I was taking that later in the evening so that when I went to bed, I wasn't immediately crashing, but then I had more of that background insulin just to like support my, my, um, short acting insulin during the day. And it helped me with those lunchtime spikes. I didn't actually need to increase the amount of insulin I was taking for lunch, I just needed more of that support there and I needed to keep it the heck away from the evening because I don't really plan. I'm not European. I don't have like 10 p.m. <laughs> dinners. Dinners. I'm, asl- I'm asleep by nine. So um, Levamir is the basal insulin. So that's, yeah. again, that's the background insulin. So um, that, was, that was probably the biggest adjustment. And again, I'm just in such a place of transition now because I've seen so many, like I've seen more spikes um, and unfortunately longer spikes in the last week in my mm-hmm. like 12th heading into 13th week than I did the entire first 12 weeks. So I'm just in a period of transition now as I head into trimester two, which, you know, well, I can't really speak on beyond this week, but Miriam can talk about <laughs> it. Um, I'm noticing how important it is to pre-bolus. I didn't really need to do that. And that means giving your insulin, you know, anywhere from five to 20, depending on the meal I'm having um, minutes before you actually go to eat. I didn't need to get too fancy with that um, in my first trimester. I didn't Mm -hmm. have too many, like once I adjusted the basil, things were pretty good and pretty steady. Mm -hmm. Um, I just had to account for, you know, if I try to fix a low overnight, it's going to keep dropping, keep dropping until I just scooted my basil the heck away from there. Um, but yeah, definitely need to pre-bolus now as I head into trimester two in a way that, again, it feels like you're taking such a risk giving yourself insulin 20 minutes before you're going to eat, but like you're not going to plummet. It actually is going to keep you where you need to be. So, And mm-hmm. with multiple daily injections, it's not like Christy has a pump to stop giving herself any background insulin. Like once she gives herself that injection it's in. um, twice a day, it's in. So uh, great responsibility. Why- 
<laughs> yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I shifted to a pump is because I would see like lows, like I, I needed, I was eating kind of to make up for giving myself too much insulin as my body Fe- was yeah, feeding, feeding the, insulin, the insulin as, as my they doctor. Call it. Yeah. Um, but Miriam, did you see a similar trend? Were you dropping more um, earlier on? No. And and this is what's interesting. And it's I actually feel like you told me we're, you di- did. we're different ladies though. I not at the beginning though. I you know, I oh. think especially this purple diabetes Bible, um one I actually convinced myself I must not be pregnant because Ginger, one of the authors, she showed a lot of resistance. Those like that, she goes, I was so insulin resistant. I was my blood sugars were so high before I even took a pregnancy test. That's how she, you know, she knew she was pregnant. And I didn't have that at all. I had no resistance. I had no lows. Um, everything was actually pretty normal. I think I was again, like I said, I was hyper anxious and hyper aware of my blood sugars because I was so afraid of you know getting out of range. Um, and so I think behaviorally, I changed a lot of things. I ate super predictably, like, thank God, knock on wood, I did not have morning sickness. So that was not an issue. Um, I was able to eat super predictably, not didn't really eat anything that is like a big, like didn't have pizza or a bagel, not because they're carby, because I ate carbs, but because they happen to be like particularly complicated carbs, at least I for me. I cannot figure them out. Exactly. So. I never bolus them correctly, you know, even pre-pregnancy. So those are things I was not going to risk at, the, you know, in my first trimester when I was already feeling, you know, overwhelmed and anxious. Um, so I ate super predictably, pretty easy meals that I knew how to bolus for. And I was, I, I kind of reacted to things both more quickly and more slowly, meaning if my blood sugar, you know, if let's say I'm like 95 straight line on my CGM and I have to go for a walk, I think pre-pregnancy, I might take a couple swigs of Gatorade. I might take a starburst or two before I even started walking to kind of be like, okay, I want to get my blood sugar a little bit up because I'm about to go walking and I, I know it'll probably drop. Pregnancy-wise, I wouldn't do that. I'd sort of say like, let's just see what happens. I'm not going to pre-correct something until I see what happens. And I think that did help me avoid some unnecessary spiking. Um, So I kind of acted more slowly in terms of preventing lows. Obviously not to the point where I'm just like hanging out at 50 all day, but enough that I wasn't letting myself like over-correct a low. And on the other end of the spectrum, I was reacting to highs more quickly. Whereas if I were to see like a 130 slanted up arrow, pre-pregnancy, I might be like, all right, you know, I have insulin on board. It's probably going to even out. I'm going to give it a little bit. I would respond more quickly, kind of depending on a bunch of factors like, do I have insulin on board? Did I just eat something? What am I about to do? I feel like I would add a little extra half a unit or, you know, I'd, I'd kind of react a little bit more quickly to those highs, potential highs as well. So behaviorally, I changed some things. But beyond that, I didn't notice any notable resistance or sensitivity blood sugar wise, probably, you know, really at all until I think week 10. I started noticing I was much more insulin sensitive and I stayed pretty insulin sensitive from week like 10 to 16. Um, I felt like invincible. <laughs> it sounds so silly, but I feel like I was, that's when I all of a sudden was able to be like, I'm going to risk it a little bit. I might have like a Reese's cup or I might eat, you know, kind of let my health self have dessert a couple of times because I was noticing insulin was just working really well. And I was able to 
I noticed it more so than Christy, sort of the opposite. I, I changed my mealtime, like my carb ratios before I ended up changing my basils. I think so. I, I, I'm like almost 90% sure that's what I did. Um, it feels truly, it hasn't been that long ago, but it feels like it was like eight years ago. Um, Your first trimester was like a year ago. That's so true. That it was, was a year. It was ago. a year. And how right. many trends have you had to track in the meantime? Exactly. Oh, you're so right. So it feels like a very long time ago and it sort of was, but I feel like I changed the carb ratios before I changed the basils. And that's because that to me is like no, way more notable. Like you see more quickly, oh, I just bolused for this meal. I knew exactly how many carbs there were because I looked at the nutrition facts and I just plummeted. So that to me was a more obvious like ding, ding, ding. Obviously, this is a carb ratio thing. You know, it's too strong. I need to like loosen up the carb ratio. Um, so those changes I made first. Um, so this was kind of closer to your second trimester Yes, now. this is like the end of first trimester, beginning of second trimester, which happens. I don't even – I feel like they're – depending on which book you're reading, they'll – you know, when the second trimester starts is like up in the air. But around 12 or 13 weeks is when that shifts over. Um, that's like exactly where I am. So clearly that clearly there is something to like the trends for first trimester versus second. Cause I feel like I made one major adjustment with the basil and it got me through the first trimester. Now here Mm -hmm. I am. And suddenly I'm like, no, what's happening? Well, we're just having a moody day, aren't we? Yeah. And I, I mean, say on a different, like not a different note, but along the same thing, I think it's really interesting because one time I had an ovarian cyst burst and I didn't Mm -hmm. know I had it. And I remember I was texting Miriam. I was like, I think I'm cured. I was using like 14 less units of insulin a day. Mm -hmm. Like anything I ate went like right through, like Mm -hmm. I didn't need insulin. I literally think I was using like six units of insulin a day. And I was like really worried I was going to go into diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA, because I could not, I would literally eat like or drink like a Gatorade and give myself like one unit, like so I wouldn't go into DKA. Mm-hmm. But hormones cause so many oh, yeah. fluctuations in our blood sugar. And mm-hmm. obviously yes. I wasn't like, oh my God, am I pregnant? Um, although I didn't know I had that cyst until it burst. And at the hospital, they were like, well, that was a big ass cyst you had. And I was like, what? <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Um, but I am curious, like once – Actually, I'll save this question because this is going to skip ahead to birth a little bit. Um, so Miriam can field all of those questions. Yeah. <laughs> and if necessary, like, no. if necessary, lie. Because remember, there's someone who needs to do this in six months or so. <laughs> so where you feel like it's best to water down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Um, um, we don't want to scare our listeners. Um, no. But I think uh, no offense, of- listeners. You don't want to scare Christy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but in terms of like the end of the second trimester, because we kind of spoke a little bit about how the second trimester was for you, and we've talked about how it, the beginning is for Christy so far. That's kind of where we're, you were noticing, not we, you were noticing a change. Um, yeah. Was there another shift when you reached the third trimester? Less so at that point. I'd say second trimester for me, and again, these are the general trends, you know, the pregnancy will follow, um, but each individual diabetic has such different experiences. What what is the thing they say on Reddit? Like your mileage may vary or something. Um, (laughs) Not on Reddit. (laughs) 
That's like a thing. Does anyone? Uh, whatever. No hate against people who are. On we can edit that part out. So um, Matt lives on Reddit for things yeah. I didn't know he cared to hear opinions about. So. Matt lives on Reddit too, so I'm walling. That's why they'll know what I'm talking about. But everyone's experience will differ a bit. But like I said, my sensitivity lasted probably until I was like 16 weeks pregnant, which is into your second trimester at that point. And then from I'd say week 16 to 20. It was sort of like homeostasis. It was just sort of like I was back to pre-pregnancy levels. I wasn't extra sensitive. I wasn't really resistant yet. I was pretty level. Um, and again, just being like hyper aware, so more more in range blood sugar-wise, just because I'm putting so much more attention into it. But I wouldn't say it was is requiring more insulin. Um, and then around 20 weeks, which is like smack in the middle of your second trimester at that point, that's when I started knowing very gradual resistance building. And I say that because I think pre before I was pregnant, I feel like I'd hear women say, oh my God, I had a salad and had to give like 14 units of insulin for my salad. And I'm like, what the fuck? Excuse my French. But that just felt like so a lot for me. And I just couldn't believe I'd go from like having to give that so much so much insulin and that it was just going to happen overnight and all of a sudden my car ratio would be like one to two and you know it just that freaks me out but I quickly realized like that happens so slowly um and so it's not like overnight all of a sudden like I'm giving so much insulin like you are it's you're shifting up so gradually that it doesn't feel as dramatic but I'd say the shift for me really started at week like 20 or so um started increasing basils a little bit, started tightening up my carb ratios, my my correction um, factor, things like that, um, and tweaked it probably like every week, every two weeks or so until I just kept building and building and building. So the shift from second trimester to third trimester, diabetes-wise, there wasn't a huge shift. It just sort of keeps going up. Like you, the, the resistance keeps increasing until – week like 36. So at that point, you're so close to the end. And at week 36, then it sort of plateaus. You're still super insulin resistant, but the resistance isn't continuing to increase. It's just sort of staying at a level. So you're just guzzling insulin, but at guzzling the, same insulin. the same amount you were before. Like Exactly. Before. Exactly. Um, you got to so, be loaded to be pregnant in the U.S. like regularly, it, but then yeah. with type 1 diabetes, if you don't have amazing insurance, like, I mean, how many bo- – I mean, I, again, every person has their own ratios. Mm-hmm. They use their own amount of insulin. Like, there's no use in comparing. Big believer in not comparing. But out of curiosity, do you know how many vials of insulin you went through in your third I trimester? I don't, and I sort of wish I, like – remembered that stuff. It's one of those things I should have calculated, like how many vials did I go through my whole pregnancy? And like, you know, I didn't keep track, but I will say by the end of pregnancy, I was using in terms of like total daily insulin, I was using about three times as much as I was pre-pregnancy. Now a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, Christy, have you heard of US Med Supply? I think I've seen a commercial for it. It's a medical supply company, right? Yeah, but apparently they're the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems nationwide, the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash, and the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide. Plus, they're rated as the number one distributor in Dexcom customer satisfaction surveys. Ooh, sounds like something I need to check out. Do they partner with most insurance companies? Yep, and they'll even help us get set up and work with our insurance companies so we don't have to spend hours on the phone. 
the actual dream. Right? We and all of our pals can head to usmed.com backslash pals or call 888-721-1516 to sign up now. Already on their website. And now back to the episode. And so that's a lot, like that's three times lot. as much. It's a lot of insulin. And if you don't have a good insurance, that can really, really set you back, which is, yeah. you know, we could do a whole episode we on could. how messed up the health system in the U.S. is. But and I, yeah, and I also starting in my second trimester with doctor recommended. And so this is one of those things that's like not in the books. It's not like in the official documents of like, this is what you do in pregnancy, but this is what my endocrinologist does with his pregnant patients. Um, and so it's something to bring up to your endocrinologist if it, if it feels relevant. But I, in addition to my insulin pump, because I was using the control IQ system on tandem, which is like the closed loop system for tandem, um, which again, by the way, they is not necessarily like FDA approved in pregnancy, but my doctor, my OBGYN, my endo, everyone was on board with me continuing to use it. But because the way the closed loop system is works, it wants your target blood sugar to be like 110, which is a great blood sugar, by the way. But in pregnancy, you want it a tiny bit lower. Like if your target blood sugar could be 90, that would be even better. Um, and so in order to like trick the control IQ system, my endocrinologist also had me starting to take Lantus via syringe. I took Lantus, so that long acting um, insulin via syringe every day as well. And so I literally started with like one unit of Lantus a day, I think at like 20 weeks um, while continuing, you know, with my, my pump and my basils on my pump as well. Um, but as pregnancy increased, not only was I tweaking my basils here and there, but I also was slowly increasing the Lantus dose as well. So by the end of my pregnancy, I think I was taking seven or eight units of Lantus a day in addition to my pump basils. Um, yeah. And then another thing that I was doing that isn't like as scandalous as that, if that is scandalous. But another thing I was doing is um, I, so in pregnancy, as you get more resistance, not only do you need to take more insulin because you just, but your body requires more insulin, but some women find that they have to pre-bolus like a really long time. So there's, I've read and heard stories of people having, oh, I had to pre-bolus like 45 minutes before dinner in order for my insulin to kick in. Um and so my, my OB, not even my endocrinologist, actually, my, my OB's certified diabetes educators, um, they suggested this. They suggested I try FIASP, which is the super fast acting insulin, um, which I had never, I had used Leumgev, which is like, you know, one of the other brands fast acting one and didn't love that one. I always found it like hurt a little bit being injected. Um, but I never tried FIASP. Um, and so I got, I had to get prior authorization for that because of course my insurance didn't want to cover it, whatever. But luckily because of the pregnancy, because of the doctors, I was able to get a prior authorization for it. And I was able to use FIASP in my pump. Um, and that was a huge help because I did not have to pre-bolus a crazy amount. I continued pre-bolusing as I already had been about five to 15 minutes before a meal. Um, and for me, who I always, everyone always jokes that like my eyes are bigger than my stomach. I like never know 
how much I'm going to eat and I'll like fill up a huge plate and then we'll be like, yeah, never mind. I'm not that hungry. So pre-bolusing is always super tricky for me because I'm always like, don't want to bolus a ton and then not eat enough to, you know, feed that insulin. Um, so having the fiasco was a huge, huge help. So those are things if you, if this sounds intriguing to you and you are pregnant and you want to talk to your endocrinologist about it, highly suggest, um, because I think those were a big help. And I started both of those in my second trimester, the Lantus and the fiasco. That's so interesting. I'm like um, taking notes over here. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't love a pre bowl. 20 minutes I'm comfortable with. I think at the point that I feel like I need to go beyond that. Cause also like what if dinner is not ready on time? Exactly. And that's what makes like going out to dinner at restaurants. It's super stressful because you, you don't know how long it's going to take for the food to come. And, and that, that I hear you. So that was a big help. Um, and I remember when the, when the CDEs suggested that to me, I was like, but is that allowed in pregnancy? And they looked at me like, yeah, like we are your, we are your pregnancy dietitians. Like why would we tell you this if it wasn't allowed? I was like, oh, uh, okay. Just double check. Um, affect your basals at all too, since Fiasp does work more quickly and you can only use one type of insulin in your pump at a time. No, actually. And I was worried about my, my doctor, his main concern, one was that he's like, he's, he wasn't like concerned, like don't do it. He just kind of told me to keep my, you know, eyes peeled for these things was make sure the basal still feel okay. Um, but two, sometimes fiasp, for lack of a better word, can be like stickier. They say it's a bit of a stickier insulin. Um, so sometimes it it's more likely to cause like pump clogs or occlusions in the tubing um, because it kind of sticks to the side of the tube more so than like a Humalog or Novolog does. Um, so he said like, don't be alarmed if you get more occlusions. Um, and also it's like, I don't know the phrase he used, so this is not what he used, but it's almost like a little less shelf stable in the sense where like, I might not get a whole three days out of a pump site with Fiasp in it. Like it sort of starts to degrade. That's the word he used. It can kind of degrade a little faster than like a Novolog or Humalog does. So he just said like, keep tabs on it. You might find on day three of that pump site that it's all of a sudden not working as effectively. So I just sort of, you know, I changed every other day at that point. I just changed my pump sites more frequently. Um, I have my, not to like cut you off and I'm sure we could do a whole other episode on this, but um, hopefully the final question, Christy, feel free to jump in after if you want, but I would love to hear quickly about your blood sugars during your contractions and things like yeah. that. Like um, making time to uh, have little max. Yeah. And I think so this will be a conversation you'll probably start having with your MFM or your OB in the sometime in the third trimester. Um, but a lot of hospitals, a lot of doctors have different opinions on like one, who will be managing your insulin during labor. And obviously there's a lot of factors, right? You know, you might have a C-section, you might you have a vaginal birth, you might be planned, it might be not. Like there's so many factors with this. Um, but for my doctor's office, they were very strongly, they kind of had this across the board. They wanted to manage everyone's insulin on their own via an insulin drip, meaning they use like an IV. Um, and it's like, so insulin is going through you via IV. So the helpful part of this is like it's going directly into your bloodstream. So it's not like when you give insulin via pump or syringe and like, you know, it's going to take a while to really hit. Like 
this hits the blood instantly. And so it works much more quickly. Um, and they can tweak it much more quickly, right? They can kind of say, oh, she's going low. Like, let's tweak it down. Let's tweak it up. So there's a lot of benefits to it. I struggled with the idea of that a lot ahead of time because I was like, felt so out of control. And so I fought my doctor a lot. I finally came to terms with it. And Steven, my husband also was like telling me, he's like, wouldn't you rather not have to think about it? Like, let them take charge of it. But you're always going to be thinking about it. Exactly. Because it's your body. You're the one feeling the effects of the insulin. Exactly. But also, like, I didn't know how labor was going to go. I didn't know where mentally if I'd have the capacity to really want to, like, think about it. So I finally accepted that. And then push comes to shove. I get to the hospital. And then I tell the nurses, like, I'm pretty sure my doctor wanted to put me on an insulin drip. And she was like, oh, we usually let the diabetics like handle it their own on their insulin pumps if you want to. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so basically I, I handled my blood sugars on my own via my pump um, for most of my labor. And then I, I kind of told them like when we start like pushing, that's when I don't want to think about it. So that's when we'll switch to the insulin drip. Um, so that's what we did. I basically handled it on my own via pump until I started like actively pushing. And then I was like, er- you know, not dealing with this anymore. Um, so that's like insulin management during labor, but that will be a very, you know, long conversation with your OB or your MFM, whoever is delivering you, that's who you'll want to talk to about. Um, with Can you that. say what MFM stands for real quick? Yes. That is the maternal fetal medicine doctor, which is the highly specialized high risk OB doctors. Um, so a lot of type one diabetics end up seeing them. I saw mine as my primary doctor when I was pregnant. Um, in terms, so that's kind of like what to expect insulin management wise, but in terms of my actual blood sugars, I didn't have a lot of issues. If anything, I was sort of, and, and by the way, as soon as you like get into the hospital, they really don't want you eating anything because just in case you need to have like an emergency C-section, emergency surgery, and they have to like, you know, God forbid, like whatever, do all this anesthesia stuff. Um, they don't want any food in your stomach because um, that can be like a surgical danger. So they really don't want you eating. So I'm thinking like, oh my God, I, what if I'm in labor for days and I can't eat anything and I'm on insulin, blah, blah, blah. You can have juice. So like, don't be alarmed there. Um, but because I wasn't like eating anything, my blood sugars were super stable. Um, if anything, they were on like trending on the lower end. I was probably like in the 70s most of the time, which I was like fine with. Um, I went like a tiny bit because I was like trending lower and then my insulin was suspending because I was kind of on the lower end, you know, the, the closed loop system was doing its part. I went up a tiny bit, um, like into the one twenties, but like nothing crazy. Um, didn't go like high, high. Um, so that was pretty easy. Um, I think the biggest struggle of that was just like the power struggle between me and like the medical team of like who's managing my insulin and the struggle between man and and machine it is because it's just said it is a power struggle because like they can't do anything without like five forms of approval like I'm talking to the nurse who then has to get like talk to the resident OB who then has to talk to the attending to this before anything happens and it's just like can you just give me a fucking juice box like I can do this much more quickly than you can um, and by the way, I did, I did not let, yeah, <laughs> exactly a memoir. Um, so that was the biggest diabetes challenge in labor truly was just like the, the power struggle. So um, what about when Max came out? So once the baby's born, um, it is 
crazy. Like once the baby's born and actually more so the baby, um, less so the baby, more so the, the placenta. placenta. So once the placenta is removed, which happens after the baby's already born, the placenta comes out as well. Once the placenta is removed from your body, it's like your body just like reverts back. It's instantly. Um, and not only does it revert back to its pre-pregnancy blood, sh- like insulin level state, it's actually even more extreme. So reminder, you're going through, you are at this point, your most insulin resistant when you give birth. You're as, as insulin resistant as you can be. I was using three times as much insulin than, than I was pre-pregnancy. And as soon as the placenta is removed, I am using about 60% of the insulin I was using before I was pregnant. So like an hour before you were using like, let's say like 15 units or no, probably like 50 units a day. And then then you're using like 15. Yeah. And so it's a very dramatic shift. And so the benefits of, I can't, I don't, benefit's not the right word, but one of the things that will likely happen being a type one diabetic and being pregnant, if you are, you know, if things are looking well, you'll likely have an induction date um, if your doctor feels comfortable with that. So you'll kind of know when it's coming. And so for me, I was able to plan with my endocrinologist, with the diabetes educators, I already had a setting in my pump called like, I don't remember what we called it. I think like this post-birth or like, you know, postpartum. Um, so as soon as the placenta was removed, at this point, I was able to go back on, you know, we, they took the insulin IV out, you know, immediately. I went back onto my pump, put that basal profile on. So I just immediately shifted to like the postpartum basal settings. Um, so that's the benefit is like kind of knowing, knowing that your insulin changes, your insulin is going to insulin needs are going to change very dramatically once you give birth. Um, if you can kind of have a plan already in place for what you're going to do. So, and, and this will be interesting, Christy, I think you'll find because you're on multiple daily injections, they might kind of say, you know, the day of labor, don't give lan- or don't give your Levomir or don't give your long acting um, insulin because they'll kind of plan accordingly because they don't want that Lantus or Levomir, you know, your long standing in long-lasting insulin in your system already because then when you give birth, like it's going to still be in your system. So they'll, you know, that your doctors will plan for that 100%, but it's just something to keep in mind that it's like very sudden shift. Can't we just circle back with you, Christy? uh, (laughs) I'm just sitting here like, Christy's like Mm -hmm. shivering, like, uh, 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 Christy's like, I'm already pregnant. I'm not getting on a pump. Um, (laughs) What I I will say just for – you know, you can't plan everything in life. But what I will say is as much as it's a lot to hear again, this is not the first time I'm hearing this because mm-hmm. I read the book. I've done an obnoxious amount of research. So to anyone who's considering preparing, I would say prepare because yes, the last thing you want to do is hear any of this for the first time in the third trimester. So this is therapy. Yes. <laughs> like I've, I've, I've read this before. I think hearing it verbally is a... Christy and uh, I have discussed this already. Length. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it does... It shocks less, despite the look on my face, to hear it again. <laughs> um, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you are pregnant and you're in any phase and you're like, what's going to happen in a week or two? Mm-hmm. Like, do, do yourself the favor of just accepting that this is all happening, which is what I will be doing later with a wine glass full of seltzer, just dreaming <laughs> of simpler times. 
Um, yeah, yes. maybe I'll, I'll have a glass in honor of, of you. Miriam and I will. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Miriam's back to it. But, okay, guys. Um, okay. <laughs> so I am um, not above saying I miss my rosé. I was sniffing wine like nobody's business this summer. Ugh. Honestly, yeah. I mean, my older sister... I'm a new aunt. My older sister gave birth about, I think it'll be six weeks ago tomorrow, five or six weeks. Uh, Baby Amelia, I'm going to tell her that she's named after me, even though she wasn't. Um, But (laughs) again, she will think that she was. Uh, She, I remember for like the first five months, my older sister was like, this is great. I'm not going to go back to drinking. I don't miss it at all. Like my sleep has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Like my skin's clear, like all this stuff. And she didn't say anything about her skin because her skin's perfect, but I added that in. Um, but, and then like once she hit eight months, she was like, I really want a glass of wine. <laughs> and then like nine months rolled around. She was like counting down. She's like, I just miss being able to have a glass of wine. Like, you know, like every now and then. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think that this has been extremely informational as someone who is not planning on getting pregnant anytime soon. Um, <laughs> she just wants to make that abundantly I just clear need everyone again. to know that. I mean, I, I do want to have kids one day. So like no one come yelling at me, family members about that. But like, I just think that this is super interesting from a science standpoint, from someone with type one diabetes who has a uterus. It's so interesting just how magnified our hormones get during the pregnancy process, but also how much that affects us as type one diabetics, because mm-hmm. people who don't have a uterus who are type one, if I had a dollar for every straight line graph I see people posting and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm sure guys have their own issues, you know, like everyone has their own battles with the disease, but it's like, you know, the week of my period and a few days before and a few days after you're like almost half a month. It Like that's like half the month that right there. Yeah. And it's like a cluster. So anyways, I'll get off my soapbox. Thank you both for sharing. <laughs> Christy, we are so excited for you. So excited. Um, can't wait for baby. And, and I don't think I said this end. at the beginning of the episode. Um, I'm we're not gender reveal people. It's a girl. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I, was sorry, I already knew we, it. We were never. We were never. I was gonna say y'all. Y'all, not. y'all know. Um, no, I mean, I appreciate when people do fun surprises. It's purely mm-hmm. because I'm impatient AF. So as soon oh, as we, I same. wasted no time. Like, do you want to know? Yeah, immediately, right away. Thank you so much. Um, I didn't get to have much of a bridal shower, like anything wedding-y, because I was a COVID bride. So I am going to ball out for my baby shower. Like, I might yes. get a DJ. Um, <laughs> Please. I'm a, I plan I'm my bu- older sister's baby shower. Well, my mom did a lot of the work, but do you need any uh, – Emily any, has a lot of opinions, though. I have a lot of – well, actually, I lo- Oh, I, lo- like, I, I love par- I love party games. I love a celebration. I'm just too impatient to have done that around – like the sex of the baby. No, that was never happening. I, happen. I don't like party you. games. I do not like anything oh, where I love like, them. I'll probably do I custom hate. baby trivia and I'll like come up with the questions. That's my style. But I wasn't I wasn't gonna be able to hold on to this. So I'm just telling no. everyone up front. My mom was like, well, Oh no, Judaism, I wanna be surprised. And I was like, Oh Norma, absolutely goddamn not. It's a girl. I know my dad my dad don't actually really do a baby shower. So it's no. kind of like we were Elizabeth wanted one, so we did one, but um it's not the norm. I definitely yeah. want one. I want plenty to eat. Yeah, I was the same as you, Christy. As soon as like it's just like a blood test. So as soon as the blood test posted to my patient portal online, 
I was like, oh, Stephen, come over here. Let's look. <laughs> I immediately then, checked. It was so anti Then once you know, anyone who says, like, I want to be surprised, you're like, well, it's going to fall out of my mouth. Like, as soon as yeah. you know, yeah. it's just, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you just start saying my, it. My dad didn't want to know. He wanted to be surprised. But my mom was like, screw that. I want to know. So then we told my mom, you know, the, the sex. But do you want to be dad's left like, out? Exactly. No, and then he's like, then he felt bad. He's like, okay, fine. Just tell me. Your dad was amped at the bris. He definitely, like, he knew for a while. He was like, this is my grandson. Like, shout out to you, uh, Dr. Brand. Love you long time. Um, he's MVP grandpa already. But anywho, I think on that, I think in that episode note. on a bris statement just makes a lot of sense for me yes. as, a, like, it's on brand for us, Miriam. Um, ooh, brand. I didn't even mean to. There you go. All these puns. Okay. I don't know if listeners could hear my stomach grumbling, but it is time for this gal to have some food. So in summation, thank you guys for listening to this extensive, potentially longest podcast episode we've ever done. Um, and, and we can keep going, but I know it's yeah. time to end. Uh, I love you guys, but I'm really hungry. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't know anything just- about that. Oh my God. Bye. Okay. So follow us on Instagram at pancreas underscore pals on Facebook at pancreas pals PP slide into our DMS on both. We love hearing from you guys hit us up on our email. We also love hearing from you there, especially if you have an episode idea or if you want to come on the pod, uh, our email is pancreas pals one, two, three at gmail.com. Uh, so excited. We are nearing the end of the season, but we do have two exciting episodes coming up um life is crazy busy and they should be posted uh every other week but we'll see what happens there so stay tuned it'll be a surprise thank you miriam and thank you christy uh just a couple of moms and little old m over here um have a great week everyone bye today's episode was brought to you by u.s med supply thanks for listening hey christy have you heard of u.s med supply I think I've seen a commercial for it. It's a medical supply company, right? Yeah, but apparently they're the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems nationwide, the number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash, and the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide. Plus, they're rated as the number one distributor in Dexcom customer satisfaction surveys. Ooh, sounds like something I need to check out. Do they partner with most insurance companies? Yep, and they'll even help us get set up and work with our insurance companies so we don't have to spend hours on the phone the actual dream. Right? We and all of our pals can head to usmed.com backslash pals or call 888-721-1516 to sign up now. Already on their website.